Welcome to Education 3.0, the new podcast from Kennesaw State University's iTeach Center, where we delve into educational topics like personalized learning, instructional coaching, and the maker movement, and where we get a chance to meet the incredible teachers, administrators, coaches, and students that are out there doing the work every day. And welcome to the podcast. Uh, Everybody listening, I'm super excited. Thanks for joining this morning. This is our first episode of what we're calling EDU Mashup. Uh, And EDU Mashup is, again, if you missed a special episode, we're just going to have a basic conversation about EDU in the news, if there's anything coming up. And this is going to be hopefully lighthearted and fun in a radio uh, morning show style format. So I've got some special guests with me today. Uh, I've got Heather Cox, who is going to be my co-host for EDU Mashup. Hey, hey, everybody. How you doing? I've got uh, Stephanie Stevens in the booth with us, director at KSU IT. Stephanie. Thanks for joining us again. Yeah, Almost becoming like a regular. It's okay. You can say rock star if you want to. Slash rock star. Yeah, rock star. And uh, our very special guest here joining us this morning for the first time is Dr. Anissa Vega. And Dr. Vega is a professor here in the Department of Instructional Technology at Kennesaw State University. And she is an expert in online, uh, K-12 online learning. So, Dr. Vega, thanks for joining us. Greetings. Thank you for having me. Let's give her a round of applause. Yeah, round of applause. So as I'm learning podcasts, I'll figure out that button and we'll hear right. that applause in there. Uh, hopefully we we'll go live. So um, thanks for joining us, everybody. First thing I need to know, uh, you know, Buddy the Elf, uh, what's your favorite color? Oh. Heather? Um, I'm got, I got to go with like a teal, minty type color. That is your power. Yeah, teal, it is. Teal, minty, Yeah, something light. like that. Okay, yeah. fantastic. Mm-hmm. Stephanie? I'm going to go chartreuse. I feel like it's an underrepresented color. Mm-hmm. You know, just really um, sort of that baby poop color. Baby poop. I'm not even sure yeah. spell chartreuse, but go ahead, yeah, Dr. Vega. Well, I'm not nearly that interesting, but um, yellow. Yellow is my favorite color. But I have to say that I can't wear it. Can't wear the uh, the color, but I love, I love the color. Check. It's a very happy color. Check. Yes, that's nice. Very, I'm, I'm a fan. My first uh, my first nursery when my babies were born was a green and white uh, checkered on the bottom half of the row and a yellow eggshell on the top. So you. Miss, Mrs. Boyle that's is nice. a fan of yellow. I gotta as well. give you props for remembering the yeah. color of the baby nursery. Mm-hmm. Dad points on mm-hmm. on check. Go for it. There you go. <laughs> All right. So today's focus uh, for EDU mashup, we're gonna talk about personalized learning. The podcast is centered around personalized learning. Um, so for those of you out there who may not um, be familiar really with personalized learning, we're going to talk about that today so we have a good idea moving forward uh, with the podcast what it is that we're talking about when we use the terms personalized learning. So uh, who would like to define personalized learning in the context that, that we'll be using that phrase uh, in the podcast? I would love to take a snap at that. Take Andy. a snap. Um, Here's the thing. Everybody would love to define it. And so that's, I think, where some of the confusion comes in personalized learning is that everyone has put a definition out there. So for our operational definition, for our purposes in the podcast, and really from what I utilize in my own work, is that this is a a type of learning that's customized to the individual learner by the individual learner um, that takes into account their needs, their skills, and their interests. And so it is this idea that it is a lot of things 
and yet undefinable. So it makes it really difficult for people to say, I've arrived, I've done this, I've achieved personalized learning. It's not a level in Mario where you jump the flag and you've you know, made it. Um, so I think it is definable in the sense that it is customized to needs, skills, and interests, but that customization responsibility has to co-land on the teacher and the student. Yeah, yeah, very good. So interesting you bring up Mario there, for those of you not in the know. Mario's no longer a plumber, so I don't know what's He's going on up. with that. He's leveled up. It's interesting. Um, so we might circle back around Was to talk promoted? about... I, I don't know, but I'm, I'm not sure that Mario really has the skill set for anything other than to be a plumber. So we're going <laughs> to circle let's back not around have to that. language. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> okay? Because we need plumbers in this world. That's and there are right. Great we plumbers do. Out I agree. There. And That's I think true. Mario is a great plumber. <laughs> right. You know what? He's got the skill set, he's got the training. He's been a great plumber since I was in, like, fifth grade. Hilarious. Uh, so I don't know why Nintendo all of a sudden feels like he needs a career shift. Maybe so. he has different needs, skills, and interests, Andy, that he's going to meet through personalized learning. Well, I hope they're supplying the training and <laughs> the resources for Agreed. him Agreed. Um, in this transitional phase of his life. Right. So, and, and hashtag, what's up with Luigi? <laughs> I don't know, but I think that's I think that's an issue for another podcast, I and think might be right I think maybe we should we should table that for now. Back on top. Yeah, let's get back now, Stephanie. My question for you, or Dr. Vega, either one of you can take this really, because you know anybody who's been in education. You, you always kind of, every year, it's something new. It's something different. It's all these words they use, and they expect you to, to regurgitate them with all of your work. You know, so we've heard differentiation. We've heard individualized. We've heard all these different things. We know that there are students with 504s and students with IEPs. And how does personalized learning really, how is it different? Or how does, how does how is it the same or how to you just kind of work those out for us? Yeah, great question, Heather. So I'll give it like sort of a practitioner lens. And then Dr. Vega, if you want to kind of give it a more systems approach, I think for my ability to interpret that for myself early on, and then also to explain it to others is that all of those things are still very passively received by a learner, right? Differentiation mm -hmm. happens because a teacher decides that it should happen. They prescribe the materials and they give them to the students to complete. Individualization, again, is a very granular look, a myopic look at what kids need, which I don't disqualify, but that's still happening to the student with very little goal setting or co-planning or choice and voice offered to the student in those situations. So from that perspective, I think that everything we've done up until this point is a good step at it. And we've all had the same goal for a really long time to try to meet the needs of kids the best way that they deserve to have them met. Um, I think personalized learning is just the next step in refinement. It's the thing that we know we should be doing, but we haven't had the tools maybe to accomplish it up until now. But hang on, I, I want to stop you for a quick second before we move to Dr. Vega. And, and you know, we've got, okay, so oh, we've got teachers and we've gone to school and, you know, I've got training and my education sure. and my background. What makes it what makes the students able to, to make these decisions. So I, I no longer am in charge as the teacher and the, the kid is, you know, saying what they want to learn, when they want to learn it, how they want to learn I'm confused as to how that works. Sure. I think the best analogy I can give is, um, you know, people say, well, we're not going to let the kids fly the plane. And I agree. Um, I would equate it to being sort of a first class rider in a Delta flight, right? We get better seats, we get better snacks, there's free liquor, although I'm not a proponent for liquoring under your students. No, right. no underage first drinking. First class, gee, I wouldn't even know this. Yes, <laughs> I enjoy first class. I, I am 
making assumptions based on YouTube videos I've seen. I'm not a first class rider either. Although, hello, Delta, if you want to make that happen for me, I'm on Right. All of us in here at the park bench would love a first class trip. But, you know, we're not saying come and be the captain of this flight. We're saying that we value you as a customer and as a participant in the flight. We're going to allow you some choice in when you get your snacks and drinks, not just when the cart hits your elbow, right? We're, we're providing a, a different kind of experience, but not disqualifying the fact that the person flying the plane is the one qualified to fly the plane. Makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And I think that there are plenty of teachers out there confused that personalized learning means that the teacher no longer has any control in the situation. Yeah. Well, and at the school district or even the state level, school systems are spending a lot of money on getting tools and resources for small groups of students who have common challenges or common gifts. And the idea here is that everyone could instead be on a common program, but at the same time, they're all moving at it in their own pace mm -hmm. um, through their own path. And so the idea is that individualization doesn't really make sense when everyone is moving at their own pace anyways. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's just that sort of uh, retiring of practice to refine and improve, not adding one more thing, which we hear a lot is that personalized learning is just one more thing you want me to do, right? Um, and, and it's not. It really is the umbrella that all of those other good practices should hang on. So, I mean, and, and Andy, I know you, you taught, so you were like me. You made lesson plans. You know, what are we doing? Lesson planning for how, how are we planning? We've got, you know, I, I've heard that before, you know, how am I supposed to create, what am I creating? Individual plans for 30 different right. kids? You know, I don't have the time for that. So what, how, how does that yeah. Right. Well, that's that's impossible. We right. <laughs> and so that's where um, a, a school system really needs to start thinking about what the role of the teacher is, because pushing more and more responsibilities on the teacher does not necessarily improve outcomes, um, and it overwhelms and overburdens mm -hmm. the teachers and burns them out way quickly. And we may be able to adjust these roles in personalized learning environments such that maybe we have um, a small group of teachers who actually design and plan lessons, and then the teachers in the classroom with the students are actually the expert facilitators of that those lessons. Yeah, I like that. I like, I that, like that a lot. So yeah, it really becomes then, get kind of meta with me here, go some okay. Deadpool. All right. It really becomes that we're personalizing for teachers as they personalize for kids in a system that becomes so personalized that there is no longer this need to define every path clearly because that happens organically within the systems that we create, Yeah. right? Which is, again, real probably five, ten years in the future from the reality that we sit with right now. But you know what? We can go back into the past. That's right. <laughs> we can go back to the early 1900s to see the first example of personalized learning if we go and look at Maria Montessori's classrooms. Those classrooms, the teachers there are not necessarily designing the curriculum from the ground up. Teachers today who use Maria Montessori's curriculum are using her lesson plans and her materials. She is the original designer of that content. And then the teachers then are facilitators. They're expert facilitators guiding the students at individual paces through those materials. And we would hope to see something similar in a modern personalized learning, learning setting. That's right. And I think, you know, as a teacher, you have to decide, am I more bothered by somebody else providing me these content units, right? Or am I more 
bothered by not being able to facilitate, you know, the way that I want to. So people are going to have to have a choice in that. I think as teachers, we're predisposed to have to feel like we are going to do it all ourselves. There is a little bit of type A involved in teaching. I don't know if anybody else experiences that, right? I am not at all. But we often, no. right, we often create our own <laughs> chaos by not allowing for other people to do and provide. Yeah, and to, to think that it's one more thing would mean that we have to then be responsible for all of it. And sometimes mm-hmm. we create our own crazy. So to be able to look at that and say, not that it's not customizable, not that you receive these, you know, units and, and guides and can't make adjustments or put your own personality or your own students inquiry into that. That absolutely should be mm-hmm. what happens. Um, but to release the burden and to then put people who are really, you know, nerd out about that kind of work to really create those opportunities for you to then have a great shell to work from. Yeah. And teachers are going to have to think about what they love best. You That's know? Right. There's some teachers who talk about the seeing the aha in the mm-hmm. child's eyes mm-hmm. and how excited they are by that. That's the perfect teacher to have in the classroom working with those students through their pace and path through that curriculum. But then mm-hmm. you have those other teachers who are just so incredibly creative with creating these cohesive, well-aligned curriculum materials and designing those lessons. And those teachers who are passionate about that, they need to be focusing on that. Mm-hmm. We need to really um, specialize in, in these areas. And I think, too, you know, when we think about it from a, a, a grander scale, we are obviously in the state of Georgia. And so when we're working within systems that are still constrained in some ways um, by things that aren't yet addressed, but hopefully will be in the future, I think it then becomes frustrating to think about, well, you know, I have an FTE as a school principal and I have X amount of students. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of flexibility in our state, but people are maybe not utilizing it in the appropriate ways to make these situations happen. In a school that has a seat time waiver and a class size waiver, there's a very real possibility that with some adaptation to a master schedule, you could accomplish this division of roles next year. Right. There's there's nothing legally and procedurally preventing people from ha- from doing that work, but it takes the vision and it takes really some structure. And that's where I think when we can create partnerships between, you know, the universities and the schools and, you know, folks like I teach, that's where we can help to, to think tank that through. Right, right, yeah. I was just going to say, I mean, it really kind of sounds like what everybody has said is that it takes – people working together. Um, Ultimately, it takes collaboration from, you know, teachers with each other, teachers with the students, teachers with, you know, in schools with outside units, like you mentioned, like I teach, but it takes a lot of different parties having the same common goal. And if we always continue to keep that same common goal and then work together, this is how we're going to make it happen. Right, right. And I love, uh, Dr. Baker, I love that you... uh, you talked about specializing, mm-hmm. teacher specializing, because yeah. as a as a high school economics teacher, you know, if we were going to define specialization, specialization makes us more efficient. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, uh, that certainly would would be our goal in the classroom: is how can we make this experience for everyone uh, more efficient, more efficient for our teachers, for the administrators, and ultimately, uh, you know, a more efficient learning process mm-hmm. for our learners. You know, and, and that, I, that I definitely, don't. Yeah, and I don't think that that necessarily takes the relational and the, the social-emotional piece out of it. I think when people hear that at first, they're like, well, what, you just want us to churn out kids. But but really, if we're more efficient with our curricula, if we're more efficient with our resource as a teacher, what a great untapped resource we can be 
to build those relationships with students, to create a, an environment where they do feel autonomous, where they do feel that they have ownership and the ability to direct their own learning. And pretty much every behavior um, and motivation research that I've read says that you will have greater outcomes in those conditions. We just don't have structures in place right now with those conditions. We were just talking yesterday, Dr. Vega and myself, about students aren't ready for this yet. You know, we, we put a lot of the weight yeah. of this and the proof point positive on teachers, but think about my own learning, the, the learning that I did when I was still back in the classroom, the mm -hmm. environments that I created. I, there was a lot of spoon feeding, right? And we created... Just tell me what to do. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> right. We created these over-rubriced, yeah. over, um, you know, kind of guided students who don't know how to gear in and or do this for kind of learning. Right. And, and we have to take ownership for that, but then also not live in that pit of despair. We right. need to move yeah. forward. So along the track of all of this has to be new structures in place for how to create that kind of learning pre-K, all the way up. Right, right. That's it. That's interesting you say that, Stephanie, because this is, uh, on a personal level, something I deal with with my own children as a father and as an educator, particularly being, uh, you know, a part of this team here that I teach out doing this work and, and trying to get more of it done, um, is that my own children are not good at self-directed learning. Yeah. You know, I struggle with how do I get my own children into this mode of thinking and doing. Um, and it's something that, that I struggle with, at, you know, at home and, and on a personal level. And uh, I think it's a good point that, that our kids aren't necessarily ready. They've been trained um, to behave a certain way in school. You know, the reward and system is in place. to authority to tell them yes. exactly what to do, when yes. to do, yes. when to do it, when to have permission That's to go right. to the bathroom. Yes. Right. You know, yeah. And those are the lessons yeah. that, you know, just have, on my eyes have been open to through the Montessori model. You know, we've done a lot of, of looking and learning at models all over the place, whether we can get physically in them or research them or look online. And, and I think that was one of the things that struck me most was that there was not this sense of, oh, no, I'm not with that small group of kids, so they must be off task. That, that innate knee-jerk reaction to kids not doing what they should do doesn't exist in that environment because they've been really guided through the process of growing in those skill sets from the minute that they, right. you know, From three years right, old, that they could. And that presents a challenge to traditional classroom teachers who are just deciding to personalize their classrooms. Their students right. are not prepared for this environment, and it may behoove them to spend time at the beginning of the school year training their students oh gosh, on yeah. how to be self-directed yeah. before worrying about fractions and before mm -hmm. worrying That's right. about verbs and adverbs. Yeah, and I I, I want to stay obviously on personalized learning, but shift because I'm I'm been sitting here listening and kind of almost chuckling internally because one thing that we haven't really talked about is where technology fits into all of this, you know, um, and I think that that proves a point really number one that personalized learning isn't all about technology. No, no, um, yeah. yeah, and I and so I think that's why I've kind of been laughing that yeah it it, it hasn't come up yet because it's not what personalized learning is, but it certainly helps. So talk to us a little bit about how tech does play in, you know, and, and I think teachers are concerned. You mentioned like the, the relationship piece, you know, teachers are concerned about they they don't have the FaceTime or they don't connect with the students. You know, you think about kids just sitting on computers all day. You know, what does it look like when it's in a personalized learning environment? Hey, Heather, you've got a great chuckle. You should let that out. <laughs> There it is. There it is. The, the cock's <laughs> Um Yeah, and I want I want Dr. 
Dr. Vegan to address this because of her background in K-12 online learning. I think that some of that came from this perception that has been created, quite frankly, by inadequate online learning systems, platforms, and materials mm -hmm. that were new and advanced, but they were shiny. And so that became the figurehead of mm -hmm. what blended learning, right? We talk about that. Right. Those That blended learning really just simply means that we're adding technology into um, differentiation or individualization or any of the other things that we've done traditionally in teaching, but now we just use tech also. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that looks great and sometimes not so great. And so when we started to do that, we, we found these adaptive softwares, we found platforms, we found LMS, we found all this stuff, but it really has underwhelmed, I think, if I'm being fair. And that bad taste in the mouth is now what people look forward with. As we think about personalized learning, their real knee-jerk reaction again is, I can't do this the way that I think I should do it because the tech is going to take over. Right, and I think I think real quick to to steal your to jump in front of Dr. Vega here. I think that that the underwhelming piece that Stephanie is talking about is when uh, I think when we focus so much on using a piece of technology um, that that's when it underwhelms and we lose focus on on you know teaching and learning and how can exactly how can technology yeah. support that versus how can i how can i use this tool to do this that tends to be i think what it underwhelms when it when it just kind of sneaks in unintentionally as hey we're doing this innovative teaching and learning whatever it is this lesson in my classroom and you know you have a student who just goes and pulls a computer because he's got this skill that he's been working on at home or he codes something up real cool or creates this cool video just on his own um, because that's what he's into or oh, her own. Yeah, thank I'm sorry. You. Um, yeah, own. you are sitting in here with three women. So, uh, <laughs> girls are great. And he's winning. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's, I think we got lost in a lot of that yeah. sometimes is that we were, we were focused on the tool. And Completely. so I want to integrate this tool instead of, you know, let me just provide some resources out there and let my learners go out and, and use whatever best supports their learning. Yeah, yeah. Well, and what we see with the online schools, especially with the really large for-profit schools, is that they're using a lot of computer-based education where students will click through to read and acquire information just very passively, yeah. receive that information, and then they're quizzed and tested on that as they move forward. And then that, what that does do, it does allow them to move at their own pace. And so we do see that there's been a lot of momentum coming from the online school environment and, and field, pushing personalized learning back to the K-12 classroom, the traditional classroom. However, we want to be cautious not to spread the message that that can only be done with computer-based education. Yeah, and that um, it absolutely can be the same sorts of lessons and activities that are taking place in the classroom now, um, and the same project-based learning, hands-on, makerspace type of experiences that um, that are rich for learners, and it's not limited to those computers. I love that you said that because I, I, I've heard that from so many people. Well, I can't personalize because I don't have devices. Right. I can't do this because I don't have, you know, one-to-one -one setup, or I only have three desktops, so I can't personalize learning. And and so they're they're stopping before they get started. And, and I love that you're, you know, really emphasizing the fact that it's not about the technology. Of course, there are amazing things you can do, and it doesn't enhance what's taking place and, and connect you in different ways, but but we can personalize for students without putting devices in their hands. Right, and I think, you know, there are lots of good intentions out there. Um, when a district 
sees data that says, you know, we have a literacy problem, right? Mm -hmm. So they put into place an adaptive literacy program. I think that that's a good step. But then when we say, okay, at 1045, all children will be spending 20 minutes on this program. Yes, it's adaptive and in a way personalized, but it's also the same idea that I'm doing station rotations, but I'm going to ring a bell at a 20 minute mark. You're going to rotate to the next one, whether you need it or not. <laughs> so th there's sort of this, um, I don't know, it feels very uh, conflicted, even in its own practice right yeah. now, that mm -hmm. people want to check the box again, rather than operate with this theory of action, that there really should be a permeation of that, that philosophy of personalizing learning throughout everything that you do. And you have to be comfortable with the idea that you can always improve, right? That's right. It's, oh, it's gosh, a continuum. Yeah. There's an yeah. ideal that you're aiming for, perhaps, but... In all honesty, you're not going to get there, but right. that, you got to be comfortable with that, and you got to keep aiming for that ideal. Yeah, I say all the time that there is no room for ego in this work. Um, you have to be okay to take it on the chops and have constant coaching and feedback from people that you respect and that you trust to be in there with you, saying, "Listen, that that was a flop. You know, <laughs> we got to try again. We got to go back to the drawing board." And and you really need to be okay with your students being that voice, mm -hmm. right. right? And that's the biggest shift. Is not you know my AP comes in and gives me feedback. Another teacher comes in and gives me feedback. Um, I remember a few years back when we started doing student surveys and teachers were very up in arms about the fact that we were going to even ask students how they felt yes, about right. us as teachers or our classes. Yep. We should be doing that every day, right. multiple the, times a day. Client. Right. Yeah. And, and more than that, you know, who, I don't know a teacher, no matter how calloused to the profession, who wouldn't take heart at something that the students say, you know, I really liked that you allowed me to do this, or I so enjoyed this part of the lesson or this activity that I got to, you know, kind of navigate for myself. Can we do more of that? Is there something, some other way that we can customize that for me? Here's, mm -hmm. I have to learn about heat, but here's a cool project or a video that I watched that I'd like to explore more. There's, there's so much invigoration in that, not just for the student, but for the teacher, that I think what we'll start to see over time, this is just a hypothesis, is that we're going to see less teacher burnout. We're going to see oh, less gosh, of a teacher yeah. shortage. Mm -hmm. We're going to see more people buy into the profession. We're going to see that the prestige of the profession return to a place that it once held because people now are passionate again rather than just passively doing the work. Right, right. So, uh, Dr. Vega, you talked about... Maria Montessori being really a pioneer uh, turn of the 19th century. And she right? did not use technology to do that. So, so you know, don't steal my thunder. Um, so that leads me to ask, you know, there was no technology. We're talking about uh, you don't have to have technology to personalize learning. So why now? Why is now ripe? You know, why is the time right now ripe for this this paradigm shift, this shift from uh, what has been a, a, a teacher-centric classroom to what we're talking about and describing as more of a student-centric, and, and not I even student-centric, student but student-directed yeah. um, learning experience. Why, why is now the right time? Well, I think that now um, the technology has been developing that helps support our very rigid traditional structures of the K-12 public school classroom. Um, to support that environment and its policies to move um, in the direction of personalized learning, to help us track the data that we need based on the individual competencies or um, standards that we want to see students achieving, and also then to use that data to inform our future decisions. 
Um, in the Montessori classroom, they, they don't have to track all the data. They don't have, although they do, they'll often do it on paper. Um, they'll, they'll note it as the student has been introduced to a concept or the student is practicing the concept or they have mastered it. Right. And so that idea has been around since the early 1900s. Um, but now in a traditional classroom, we can track that with student information systems and learning management systems can also help us track some of that data as well. Nice. Stephanie, anything to add as, yeah. as what you think is, is bubbling or why is now right? I think that enough people now are on the, um, the sort of awakening of the fact that good enough's not good enough. Um, I think that there's a million conditions that could weigh in on that, right? Globally, if you're, if you're looking at a global perspective, as the interwebs closed down the gaps that existed between countries, between individuals who are competing for similar futures, right? And I don't even mean jobs. I just mean futures. Um, what can I do with my future? Well, I'm now not just competing against Billy that's sitting next to me. I'm competing against Sonia from another country for my future. And so that really creates this sense of we have to be not just competitive, but but super competent. And it's not okay to just live in this vacuum silo reality. The bubbles that have existed in small town USA or in big city USA are gone, they're busted. And so there is a sense of urgency, I think, around not just education as a field, but, but many different sectors that say, we've got to do something better. We've got to be better. And I, I think that that's invigorating too, just from a global perspective. I don't see that as conflicting. I see that as let's elevate, everybody elevate. Let's hold ourselves to a higher standard. Let's get better. And I really do, um, you know, use the term renaissance a lot. This does feel like a, like a cultural, yeah. a global awakening of sorts where we are committing to being more of that, um, you know, renaissance individual where we, we know more and we do more and we have more of the social responsibility to get out and impact more. And I think that's the call. And we're also starting to embrace our own uniqueness. That's right. On an individual level. And so we see this even in the field of of medicine. They're moving to personalized medicine that's based off of your DNA evidence. Our education now system is going to be based off of your um, your learning path and pace, that you're going to have a list of competencies and the pace which you move through those that become a DNA pattern of your own learning. Right. And there's another example of the technology providing analytics to inform that, right? Think about Netflix. It suggests for you before you know that the shows even exist, what you should watch next based on, based on what you've done before. Right. And so, um, not to say that we should let big brother rule the world, but that granular look at the individual and that the, the, power that's held in the individual, that the authority that's given to that individual is just so much greater than it's ever been. Mm -hmm. Real quick, back to that, the idea of this being a renaissance. If, if we're in a renaissance, are the KSUI Teach coaches the modern day Ninja Turtles? <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, Wait, can man. I be, I want to be, I want to be Michelangelo. <laughs> Orange does not look good on me, but man, the pizza. Oh my god. Yeah, totally. You know, you yeah, can only you can only call yourself and, Steph <laughs> and Stephanie here. I think is Splinter, oh, really, because she's she's our ninja master. I'm gonna have to seriously let some facial hair grow out. Yeah, that's the case. <laughs> I think you're right. We are we are the Ninja Turtles. You know, I'm really excited about that. Yes, you notice. I think yeah. that that's also the where you saw in the Renaissance. You saw these master painters, right? You saw master philosophers, and you saw the mentorship role that they provided. You know, you had Socrates, and like look at the kickback of Socratic seminar, right? You had these in individuals who were trying to source and network their knowledge. Out there. Right. Okay. 
right. But I mean, you had you had these teachers, right, who were mentoring and coaching. And in that role, yeah, I do think that that we are the Ninja Turtles. Not just in I teach, but those people who are pocketed in this work um, are those who need to get out and create apprentices. And and then we need to follow that philosophy down to our students and create in them a passion for learning. Um, so I'm just really excited about that. Well, let's let's talk just for a minute about what a paradigm is and a paradigm That's right. shift. <laughs> a lot of what we've talked about today so far really puts a lot of the onus on the teacher's shoulders. Right. Mm-hmm. It is the teacher's job to create a personalized learning environment. And I want to argue that a bit because yeah. while um, the day-to-day experience of the student is very dependent on the teacher, the teacher's hands are tied in a lot of ways oh, in achieving yeah. that ideal that we talked about as long as the district is not on board and the state is not on board. We really need to look at the policies that are in place, especially with testing and the pacing of testing. As long as everyone has a common testing day and they're taking the same test, we're that is directing the pace of our curriculum for every student. Right, That's right, absolutely. Right. Yeah. And for those of you who can't see right now, which is all of you, I just wrote down traditional K-12 policies with a question mark. As you mentioned them earlier, Dr. Vega, and that certainly is where I wanted to go. What, what's holding it back? At a, at a systematic or even, you know, state, federal level, um, what, are, what are some of the policies or that are stopping this or roadblocking this or slowing this or that, that need to change? What, what are policies we need to be in place in order for this So in starting to, to analyze that, <laughs> I would say you want to first look at that curriculum alignment triangle where you look at the intended curriculum, which is going to be your curriculum standards, we need to be breaking those up into competencies. We need to be doing that system, or statewide, really. Mm-hmm. That's right. We've got to look at how we're providing those materials and we're aligning instructional materials that go with those things and how they're organized and, and presented and to teachers Which as Which is teachers pay teachers. And then, <laughs> and then um, the other piece of, um, another corner of that triangle is the tested curriculum. And as long as the testing policies are actually dictating our pacing, we're not going to be able to yeah. provide an individual pace. We're, the best we're going to do, which is still good, but we're going to do a lot of station rotation in a personalized classroom. That's right. And we're not going to be able to move to that individual self-directed learner on a daily hourly basis where they're working on whatever subject they want at that time setting their own goals until we remove some of those policies and we break those tests down into competencies so that students can take pieces of the test as they move through competencies. Right, right. And I even think that that a lot of this this uh, curriculum alignment triangle that you're talking about, I think it even has a has an impact on teachers that are stepping outside of the box and trying some of these things. And and a lot of times they get flagged or ID'd kind of as as rogue or or kind of, because they're not worried about the triangle, or at least they're... Well, the last corner of that triangle is the taught curriculum, and that's the piece that the teacher's responsible for. That is the only piece that the classroom teacher is responsible for. And other policies and um, state agencies, federal agencies, district offices, they are responsible for the other two pieces. And as long as we hold those other two pieces hostage, hostage, it will dictate the directions that the teachers can go. And so I don't want to discourage teachers. I want to encourage them to try, try, try. But I also want them to have self-care and to forgive themselves if they don't achieve perfect personalized learning because it's not entirely in their hands. We have to put some of the responsibility. Yes, it it always kind of goes along with my uh, 
my Tim Gunn Project Runway analogy, which is, you know, you, you have these constraints they put on the contestants, you know, and you have limited time, you have limited resources, you're, you're told to do things that are beyond your control, but his answer to every single person is make it work. So in the meantime, you know, we have to make it work. We have right. some things that you said, you're like they're being held hostage, we can't control those. So in the meantime, what we do is we make it work with what we do have control over, which is the, you know, the way that that curriculum is, is delivered to our students. And something else we can do as teachers is we can start preparing our students for a personalized learning environment, start training them yes. to, to direct their own learning, to have the executive functioning that they need to be able to plan it to set a goal and move towards that goal during the day. Steph, I want you to speak to that because um, when people, when this transition starts, when we start this quote unquote, you know, training or transitioning to this personalized learning environment, what's this going to feel like? Um, and, and, and what's the response initially do you believe going to be from students when we do this? Yeah, I often cite Gartner's hype cycle um, in this and it's, it's, pervasive enough that people can find it quickly on a Google search, but there is this um, path of enlightenment that occurs and then a trough of disillusionment. And, and everyone in that innovation cycle will feel that at some point. Typically, teachers, educators, those who are responsible for that, you know, trifecta, that corner of the trifecta, feel it early on. They feel it when you're beginning to ask them to think about changing. That's when the disillusionment occurs. Well, for students, it usually takes six to eight weeks after a new implemented practice before that pressure point hits. And so when they get into that trough of disillusionment, and all of them will, and the, the feeling is often very much stronger at the higher grade levels because they have had more yes. time traditionally you know, unchallenged, right. um, it's real uncomfortable. And, you know, Andy can probably attest to this. When he was coaching me in my classroom, when we started on a beta pilot, we weren't really even changing a whole lot. We were just changing access to materials and some very minor tweaks that were not even close to touching personalized yet. And the students really pushed back. And so you have to fortify yourself to be able to fill their buckets enough to keep them going. You know, there is this stamina piece involved in all of this innovation, and the students need help in that stamina as well. And so, you know, elementary kids often talk about bucket fillers, right? Mm -hmm. I would yeah, encourage exactly. you to set up some kind of bucket filling, self-filling prophecy <laughs> where the kids know that they can rely on each other and be honest about the fact that things are difficult and hard and new and, and a way that's challenging them but then not to stay in the trough of disillusionment right. to them to then crest over the other side of that. Yeah, I think it's interesting you talk about student pushback too. So I was, uh, it seemed like every time I tried something new in my classroom, uh, I always got lots of pushback, but, but the majority of my pushback came from parents. So I think it's super mm -hmm. important that we remember, not just as teachers, but systems in the state, that there's gotta be some education that comes out with this and we've gotta involve the community and we've gotta let parents know what's happening. And because why? this is yeah, this is different, and, and different and change oftentimes scares us. Um, Maybe you know, they should share this podcast with their parents. I know. Hey. Your homework tonight, even though we have a strict homework policy here. <laughs> Yes. Work tonight is not only subscribe to the podcast, but share it out to ten of your friends and have them subscribe. <laughs> so you mentioned the word homework, 
And so I want to talk a little bit about homework ah. when it comes to personalized learning. Yeah. Because um, in the Montessori classroom, there is no homework unless the child doesn't do their work during the day. They get distracted or off task. Okay. Because the idea is that as the student is moving at their own pace throughout the day, um, and they put in, you know, five hours of focused work, a three-hour morning cycle, and a two-hour afternoon cycle, that they've done what they could for the day, and they're mm -hmm. full, and they're done, and they don't have to do homework to keep pace with anyone else, mm -hmm. right? So it doesn't make sense, because when they come back in the classroom the next morning, they're going to pick up right where they left off. Mm -hmm. The same idea in a personalized learning classroom should actually take place as well. However... If they're still working in small groups, they're going to have to keep pace with the other students in their small group. Mm -hmm. But we already know from plenty of research that homework does not actually improve student achievement. Mm -hmm. And especially in areas, um, in schools with low socioeconomic um, demographics, that, that that is not a solution to close the achievement gap. But we have seen evidence that personalized learning is a solution, but that may involve less homework. That's right. I'm totally cool with and that. And so parents <laughs> might be a bit shocked by that idea that we're actually improving the quality of the education actually reduces the amount of homework that we see at home. And I think it's so important for people to, to hear that because there is this general assumption that homework is good for kids. And parents want to see homework. Well, right. all of us sitting in here are also parents. And even if I didn't do this as my chosen career and life's work, I would tell you that all teachers, hear me now, I don't want homework. You know, my kids yeah, I don't either. spend all day putting forth best effort. And mm -hmm. I think more kids will start to do that when they see the accountability for themselves yep. increase. But at the same time, I do want to defend the teacher who currently gives homework sure. because... When they are forced by that that triangle, yeah, that's right. right. Sometimes there's a the force. Yeah, triangles. <laughs> that, <laughs> that that testing piece of the triangle that's dictating the pace the pace that it's happening at. That teacher is going to have to push those students to learn content at home or practice content at home that they otherwise wouldn't have to. That's right. right. Yep. Yeah, this is not to vilify anybody, but I think, no. um, you know, again, you can control what you can control. And in, in the cases that you can lighten the load for people, mm -hmm. you know, rather than the prescriptive um, homework monthly calendar that some elementary schools put out, that every student in the entire grade level has the same assignments for every day for the month ahead of time before they even start school. That's um, like right. <laughs> so maybe we can stop doing that and move to a more purposeful and intentional. Yeah. And in that respect, rich reading. That's right. Rich oh, reading. Yes. Or, or if you really are still operating in that trifecta effect of, I need to keep pace with this small group, then individualize that within the small group to say, and again, that's still on the teacher. And I know I said individualize and I meant that because we're not yet to the that's point where this is right. Teacher yes, directed. Right. But for them to say, you specifically are showing that this is a skill that you are not on pace with, not just blanket overall, multiplication, hashtag you suck, but like here specifically are the structures that we need to build for you to keep pace, Yes. then that's the way that you can affect that. And right. to not just give these blanket cover homeworks that are really just providing very little value and also chipping away at the self-motivation that kids are yeah. going to need in these environments. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, I have video of my son doing his math homework at the kitchen counter where he's literally asking the Google Home the math problems and just writing down the answers. I mean, that, I don't know what he's learning there. You except... just ratted him out if his teacher is watching. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening to this uh, math teacher, uh, change your homework. <laughs> 
Yeah. Google Home is doing all this homework for him. Uh, he blows through it and he's done. I, I'd like to see more homework to, in the likes of, uh, you know, go build a fort. Go outside, find the resources. Right. Go explore the woods. Um, so that's fort, actually document your process and share your process on YouTube and collaborate right. with other kids about, that are building forts. When we talk about career and college readiness, what does that really mean? Mm -hmm. And we have this huge list of facts for kids to memorize every right. time they get through 12th grade. But really, when we talk to employers out in the world and we listen to um, faculty here at the university, what they want are, are people who have that executive functioning. Mm -hmm. to um, manage their time well, do their homework, solve complex problems, innovate solutions, and that process of being a learner in a personalized learning setting and the skills that come with that outside of the curriculum that's mandated um, prepares them even better that's for right. college and career. Right, right. That's right. And I think that yeah, that's, absolutely. you know, that's yet another indication that you're, you're listening to a bunch of tech folks, you know, uh, <laughs> admittedly, we are in the field of instructional technology, which if I had to make a prediction would just become learning and teaching the way it should be in the future. I think the field will collapse back into what I think best practice will show, but mm. hashtag ed 3.0. But I, I think also, um, that we are not the people that are the proponents for all things technology. We want kids to have a very rich and all-inclusive experience because that's what adults should have, right? This is a quality of life thing that we're trying to bring all the way back down to a five-year-old, right. um, where there is life-school balance, where there mm -hmm. is this idea of you as an individual and as a person, not just a data point on a math exam. So we really need to start to balance that out a little more. Right, right. And you know, as much as I think that uh, that we could sit here and talk about this all day, I would love to do that, as I'm, I'm sure all of you would. Um, I want to kind of wrap it up for our listeners, and let's wind down. Um, I think I'm left with more questions than answers today after this enriching conversation. I, I love the way it went. Um, any final thoughts uh, before we wrap up and say goodbye? Anything you got to leave a listener with? Um, personalized learning, Heather? No, I, you know, I'm, I'm now I'm thinking about our next conversation, you know, about Luigi and Mario. Um, so that's where my, my gosh transitioned already. Steph, what's up with Luigi? So, um, Steph, I'm going to toss it over to you. Yeah, I guess I would just sort of treat this as a call the arms, you know, and, and not in a militant way, but just for yourself. I, I want to hone back in on self-care, protect yourself and bulletproof your mission as much as you can. We need you for the long haul teachers. We need you for the long haul administrators. We need you for the long haul state DOE folks. We, we need everybody to commit to the understanding that this is not a quick fix. That's by definition, what a paradigm change and shift is, we need people to commit to just continuing to seek understanding with us collaboratively because we do not have all the answers. Right. We have good ideas. We have things we want to test and, and we want everyone to just commit to moving forward. So, you know, love yourself in this, you know, this is not something to say that what we're doing is all bad. There's so much good happening yes. in classrooms. Oh, absolutely. So yeah. we want to just leave on that note, do the good that you know you can do right now and commit to work with us to keep it going. Right. Thanks Steph. Yep. Dr. Vega, any parting words? Um, my parting words would just be to, um, to remind those outside of the classroom, those administrators and district leaders, the state, um, 
policymakers um, to take responsibility also for their role in this paradigm shift and that if they need help in understanding that or if they want to see examples of what it is or what it could be, that they should reach out to those resources, whether that's through iTeach or through our Department of Instructional Technology. Fantastic. That's brilliant. And for those of you listening, I know you have questions and I know you want to ask. So real quick, you can reach us um, at the podcast here. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram at KSUiTeach. Uh, that's our handle on all of those platforms, or you can reach out directly via email. We've got a special email account uh, set up. It's podcast at ksuiteach.org. Um, and you can forward any questions. We can make sure if they're for Dr. Vega, uh, just send them to us. We'll make sure she gets them and, and she can address them. Uh, but let me thank all three of you, Heather, Stephanie, thank Dr. You, Vega. Andy. Thank you guys thank so you. much for, for joining me uh, in the booth at the park bench today at uh, the beautiful campus, uh, Bagwell College of Education here on Kennesaw State University's campus. And uh, until our next episode, cheers. Education 3.0 is produced by the instructional coaches from iTeach at Kennesaw State University. You can reach out to them for more information, questions, or comments at their website, www.ksuiteach.org, or on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.